Section 13 of U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Edwards. U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan by Alfred Owen Crozier. Chapter 11, Wall Street Stock Market a fixed Monte Carlo, the game in detail exposed, United States Attorney General's strange opinion. A banking or currency reform plan that does not take into account the constantly, daily, monetary, financial, and banking practices of Wall Street will be ineffective and useless. Their conditions constantly prevail that decisively influence the supply and flow of currency and credit, the rates of interest on both time and call loans, the making and calling of bank loans in vast volume, the international ebb and flow of the tides of gold that now measure all values, and the quotation prices of 20 to $30 billion of listed securities, a total three times the value of all annual crops of the soil and eight times all the money of the United States. If these forces were moved only by natural causes, natural supply and demand, values would be relatively accurate and stable, fluctuations and changes comparatively moderate and harmless, monetary conditions would be sound and financial institutions safe and Wall Street as a barometer of the nation's prosperity and a governor on the financial engine moving the wheels of all American activities would be an accurate and useful indicator and regulator of steady and inestimable value to the entire country and all of its inhabitants. There would be no dangerous extremes and consequently no possibility of panics. But, unfortunately, in Wall Street, everything is artificial. Nothing is natural or logical. Therefore, the unexpected always is happening. Every effect is the result of a planned and purposeful cause. Whatever is done usually was intended, procured. If prices soared to the swallow's nests, they were put up there. If they slumped to the coal cellar, they were dumped there and only the few big inside operators know which will be done on any particular day. Consequently, everybody else in the United States who either speculates or invests in listed securities is merely gambling blindly, recklessly, without the slightest knowledge or chance of knowledge. A mere guess as to whether that day the masters of the machine will decide to lift the lever up or push it down, and he will not, and cannot know, or have the slightest idea or inkling until after, figuratively, he has dropped his money in the slot, made his bet, heard the whirl of the unseen wheel behind the impenetrable curtain, and the attendant, the broker, opens the little peak hole and, as usual, calls out, You lose! Try your luck again! The fact is, the putting up or down of the price of a given stock or bond is simple and easy. The shares of the company are limited, it is not like speculating in wheat or corn against every bushel in the world. A large portion of a corporation's shares of stock never change hands, however much the price may fluctuate. The proportion of shares on the market 
usually is relatively small. It is only necessary to organize a syndicate or pool with sufficient available means or borrowing power to put up as a margin a sum equal to 10% of the quotation price of whatever shares of that particular stock may be offered. Usually, but 10% to 25% of the stock of the smallest or largest railroads or trusts will appear on the market, even if prices are forced far above conceded value. Most holders want steady investments, dividends, not to gamble on stimulated changes in prices. And the manipulators must furnish only 10% of the value of the relatively small amount offered. Another 10% is furnished by the brokers and the balance 80% by the banks, loaned on the securities as collateral. Thus the banks are the chief factor in every stock market manipulation. While the great Wall Street insurance companies, controlling in their reserves hundreds of millions of the accumulated savings held for the widows and orphans, are prohibited by law from investing in stocks, the law does not say that they cannot, to help out their stock market masters, deposit a hundred million of money in the banks, and thus enable such banks during a great market manipulating campaign to loan to inside operators four hundred million dollars additional credit to aid them in running the gamble against the public, the living fathers, husbands, and brothers of such future widows and orphans. Whatever the amount, they certainly deposit many millions in the big banks. Such a pool always is formed and operates in absolute secrecy. Often its members do not know the plays to be made from day to day with the common funds for mutual benefit. That is a blind pool. Only the manager, usually one of the pool members, knows the moves made or to be made. A pool of that character has the price of that stock, the welfare of the corporation, its stockholders, officers, employees, and the public absolutely at its mercy. And yet no one outside of the pool itself even can know of that fact. Sometimes it is a long, exhausting, wearing, heartbreaking, strangling struggle. Often it is just a quick, deep stab in the dark, always from behind, and all is over. The guilty never are caught or detected or even suspected, for the stock exchange is created and operates to hide the identity and completely screen the actions of the bandits of high finance. Very often the different pools manipulating the various stock and bond issues of the many trusts, railroads, and other corporations quietly put their heads together and cooperate or conspire. The whole list of price quotations goes up, a bull movement, or down, a bear movement, according as has been predetermined. The public that owns most of the securities, but does not know until too late which way prices are to be put is, of course, always fleeced, the profits going to the insiders. In fact, it is the regular practice of the manipulators to put out hints and tips through the daily press and otherwise to cleverly induce the uninformed public always to take the wrong side of the market and lose. Sometimes dividends are increased and decreased for the purpose of manipulating quotations for the speculative profit of insiders. 
An honest, legitimate trading market for securities would be a useful national blessing. But the Wall Street Monte Carlo, in its practice and results, is the most colossal, crooked, and financially dangerous den of gamblers and robbers the world has ever seen or dreamed of. Quotation prices sometimes are pushed up or down 10 to 50 percent. The overwhelming consequences of these fluctuations can be realized from the fact that an average fall of but 10 percent means a total loss to holders of the nearly $30 billion of securities amounting to $3 billion, a sum exceeding all the money in actual circulation in the United States. A few such swings each year and the losses will equal eight or nine billion, the yearly value of all the crops. In this and other ways, high finance, silently and constantly and irresistibly, harvests an ever-increasing portion of the fruits of all human toil and effort. Yet the methods and means employed are so secret and mysterious, the victims may not even realize they have been intentionally victimized and never would suspect the right parties in any event. Indirectly, most of the losses fall on the people who never buy stocks at all. It is high finance against people, with the cards always stacked, the game always fixed. It is hard for the people to figure out just how it is worked, but a large portion of the prevailing high prices is due to the machinations in one way or another of high finance. The inflation of the volume of securities out of all proportion to assets, increase in interest rates on billions upon billions of dollars of municipal and corporation bonds and upon the loans of bank credit, are some of the agencies used, the extra burden falling always and only upon the people. Mr. Carnegie is said to own about $300 million first mortgage bonds of the Steel Trust. Ryder heard him testify a few years ago before the House Ways and Means Committee to the effect that he refused to accept as a gift with his bonds an enormous quantity of steel trust common stock because it was all water and worthless. The issued common stock amounts to $508,302,500. Its market value now is about 70. If Carnegie told the truth, the stock is worthless today, except as unlawful use of the power of monopoly temporarily gives it a fictitious earning power that creates an illegal value by extorting illegal prices and profits from the public. But stock quotations do not depend upon or register intrinsic values. The will of the secret manipulating pools determines the quotation prices of listed securities. These pools can advance and maintain quotations far above values because they control the banks and can borrow as much as needed of the country's entire supply of money and credit. And they also can prevent the public, against which the pools are playing the game, from borrowing from the banks relatively a dollar of credit or money. Money makes the mare go. This old saying is particularly true in Wall Street. Those who control the cash supply rule and dominate everything else. A few men of giant wealth own a large share of the available cash. They put it in the banks and thereafter are masters of the banks. For upon every million cash put into bank reserves, the banks build up 
and loan for interest profits four to ten millions of bank credit. The banks are at the mercy of and dependent upon the owners of the cash because every million withdrawn forces contraction of bank loans four to ten millions. A financier with ten million dollars cash can get the interest only on ten million dollars if he loans or invests the money. But if he owns a bank and puts the ten million dollars in its cash reserve, the bank for his profit can, based thereon, increase its credit loans forty million dollars to one hundred million dollars without the investment of one additional dollar. The banks serve Wall Street and devote their limitless resources to further stock gambling, and 75% of all stock exchange transactions are conceded to be fictitious gambling deals, for the reason that the owners of the cash, who are masters of the banks, and the organizers of the secret price-manipulating pools, often are identical. And by a succession of consolidations, mergers, arrangements, gentlemen's agreements, interrelationships, pools, and combines for mutual profit and advantage, practically all of the large banks, insurance, and trust companies containing the deposit savings of the people and the reserves of outside banks and controlling all important loanable funds, together with the trusts, railroads, and other large corporations, generally have fallen under the absolute power of the same few Wall Street men who are the big operators of the stock market, the masters of high finance, the architects and beneficiaries of vast tidal wave flotations, and the instigators and originators of the pending private central bank plan, by which they expect to corner and control and manipulate and turn to personal profit the entire public currency and all the revenues of the republic. The outside individual whatever his wealth may be, who either invests or speculates in any stock or bond dealt in on the stock exchange, is blindly playing the game single-handed against the combined power of all these cooperating pools. And because of the control exercised by these pools over the financial institutions and their ability to borrow without limit the money and credit of the Wall Street banks, and the reserves of outside banks deposited in New York banks, the outsider, to a large extent, is playing against the invincible power of the marshaled and intelligently manipulated combined banking capital of the entire United States. And if the Aldrich Central Bank plan is adopted, he must also play against the weight of the entire public currency and the total revenues of the federal government. What chance has any individual outsider in such a game? The central bank plan is a dazzling, daring scheme. If it succeeds, the government, the people, and the banks forever will be chained helpless to the Wall Street machine like the conquered and abject slaves to the wheels of the chariots of the returning and victorious Roman generals. Money is the supreme magnet. It is the sun that attracts and holds in place and regulates a universe of credit. The interest rate, like the moon, is a lesser magnet, performing, however, an important office in the world of finance. It is unlawful in New York to charge more than 6% on time loans. That would be usury. 
It once was the same as to call loans, but years ago, when the people were not looking, Wall Street stole up to Albany and had the law changed. Now it is lawful to demand the pound of flesh and to cut it out close to the heart for any interest rate from one to one thousand percent may be agreed upon and enforced in the courts of justice of that state and in the federal courts respecting deals made in new york provided the loan is always left payable on demand and in recent years it is a common thing to see interest on call loans bid up into the clouds ten twenty fifty one hundred two hundred percent many times have been the ruling rates for call loans and once during the cornering of the stock of the northern pacific railroad and the resulting panic the interest rate actually was run up on the new york stock exchange to one thousand percent it has been admitted that after the instigated brokers have run the call loan rate up to ruinous figures over and over big banks have called the loans of customers at one window for the sole purpose of forcing them to go to another window of the same bank or to another of the cooperating banks and submit to an interest extortion and robbery that would be a crime in another state and once was in new york the great empire state will not right this glaring and growing wrong to the whole country for about four million dollars annually in stock transfer fees three-fourths of which is exclusively from mere gambling transactions it has sold its independence and honor and licensed the gamblers to prey upon and plunder on its own soil the citizens of that state and the people of the whole united states it is common knowledge that big wall street banks daily ignore and break both the spirit and plain letter of the national banking law illegally loaning sums aggregating untold millions to further stock market operations of the wall street masters of such banks high finance knows no law human or divine it is a bold and daring outlaw on the highway of commerce making frequent raids to hold up honest business and plunder american prosperity the practice of high interest extortion falls heavily upon legitimate business for commerce and industry must compete with the gamblers for the bank's favors or get along without money or credit this is because many banks ignore their obligations to the public whose deposits they use and to the law to which they owe their existence immunities and special privileges they are only out for the coin every last dollar and they often auction off their credit to the highest bidder and the gamblers can afford of course to outbid honest business high interest on-call loans is advertised in the daily press and made to entice away from outside banks their deposits and to induce country banks all over the land to deny the legitimate and necessary demands of local business that the funds of the institution may be sent hunting for usury in the deadly quicksands of wall street's great paradise of gamblers and when this enticed money reaches the metropolis call loan rates suddenly are put down to two per cent by that time the fierce stock market struggle is over the high rates demanded prevented the public borrowing so as to hold on to its securities until the artificially disturbed condition again becomes normal 
the banks forcing the public to sell to insiders at bottom prices by calling the loans to secure which such securities are up as collateral. But the high rate as a magnet attracted into the reserves of Wall Street banks enough extra of the country's cash to enable such banks to loan hundreds of millions of additional bank credit to insiders to enable them to carry the securities the public thus was forced to sell cheap until quotations can be manipulated and again marked up and the operators unload at a profit on the confiding public and during these long periods of rest while the public is getting ready to forgive and forget the banks charge the insiders on such call loans only the nominal rate of two percent per annum while everybody else must pay at least six percent in this way the monetary balances and currency streams of the whole country are altered and deranged causing distressful and dangerous conditions tending toward panic and the interests and the banks that repeatedly work these giant wrongs upon the country are the identical interests upon whom the aldrich plan would confer a thousandfold greater power for evil and unearned and unjust profits by means of a great private central bank under their control the banks of the united states foolishly may be anxious to become the willing concubines of wall street in the mere hope of increasing their profits that they may wear finer clothes but the business interests of the country depend constantly on the banks for an adequate supply of bank credit in order to make any money or even keep their business alive surely they are not going to commit business and financial suicide by helping to persuade congress to create a private central bank that in wall street's hands will enable it by contracting the currency to force the banks even against their will to call in and cancel bank loans to business borrowers suddenly and unexpectedly to the extent of billions of dollars no important deal now can be financed in new york or in fact anywhere without the consent of the few ruling high financiers their consent usually can be obtained only by surrendering to them control and most of the profits of the enterprise Many a deal is financially sandbagged because it does not first get the okay of the masters of finance, and no matter how attractive and sound it may be. All our banking laws play directly into the hands of these few men. They tend to force everybody in the United States to go to New York for money. This monopoly of American cash and credit by Wall Street is due chiefly and directly to the natural operation of federal laws pertaining to bank reserves. These laws should be changed so that every city in the country will be on an equality with New York, with an equal chance for business. David H. Moffat, multimillionaire president of the great First National Bank of Denver, a man of character, integrity, and influence, recently died, disappointed because for 15 years, and to the last, the money masters of Wall Street blocked in this country and Europe the sale of his gilt-edged bonds on the new railroad from Denver to Salt Lake that is half completed with money Moffat personally advanced. The road would open up a vast new territory that has no railroad, but between the terminal cities it would compete with the Union Pacific on the north and on the south with the Denver and Rio Grande, a railroad also built by Moffat. 
It is reported that the bankers who first considered financing the splendid independent electric railway scheme between Philadelphia and Atlantic City gave as a reason for dropping the project that they had been ordered to do so by financial interests behind the Pennsylvania Railroad, such interests intimating that if they went ahead, every scheme they tried to put through in the future would be fought and blocked. The bankers said that it was one of the most sound and profitable deals they ever had considered, but that they could not afford permanently to antagonize the powerful men behind the Pennsylvania Railroad. So Wall Street has its black hand. In 1908, Ryder suggested to the General Assembly of New York a legislative investigation of Wall Street and drafted the bill introduced for that purpose. He urged the plan at a public hearing in Albany, at which John G. Milburn, as counsel for the Stock Exchange, publicly consented to such investigation. Evidently he was not serious, because agents of Wall Street blocked the measure notwithstanding Governor Hughes twice urged its passage in special messages. Mr. Milburn said the members of the Stock Exchange were all honorable men, had nothing to hide, in reply, Ryder read from the 1908 official report of the State Comptroller the direct charge that each year the members of the Stock Exchange swindle the state out of more than $2 million of stamp transfer taxes on deals they do not report. As brokers always collect this tax from customers, instead of paying it themselves as was intended, it would appear that the offending brokers steal the $2 million from either the state or their customers, or both, and pocket it. The stock exchange has 1,100 members. The franchise value of a seat, or membership, increased from $35,000 in 1900 to $96,000 in 1909, a total value of $105,600,000 for the 1,100 seats and actual property its building worth perhaps three million dollars. It is the right to participate in the rich fruits of the vast gambling operations that makes men pay $96,000 to join that club. The rules allow the brokers to charge customers one-eighth percent commission. In margin deals, this is figured on the 100% face value of the stock bet on it is one and a quarter percent on the actual cash involved, the 10% margin put up, and it costs another one and a quarter percent to let go to close a trade, two and a half percent for the round trip. Brokers can also charge 6% interest on the 90% of wind or imagination, the difference between the 10% margin and the face value of the phantom stock. Figuring his margin money worth 6%, customer pays 60% interest on the actual money he puts into the deal. Broker will soon get all of his customer's money, even if quotation prices remain the same. The interest, commissions, and state tax speedily rob customer of all his cash. The stock exchange is not incorporated. It is an irresponsible, unregulated, unrestrained private club yet its transactions total 20 to 30 billions annually, several times the value of all crops, and daily affect, vitally, all American life and business. 
no law of state or nation exercises the slightest effective public control over the exchange its members or their transactions yet every panic was caused or intensified by this body and its dangerous manipulations as the stock exchange regulates the state of new york and dictates its legislative policy it is folly to expect that state effectively to regulate the exchange have we forty-eight little despotisms within the borders of the republic each with supreme power permanently to inflict on the other states and the nation the grossest wrongs and most dangerous evils can one state that gets a big share of the profits forever maintain in spite of all the others the greatest gambling institution in the world and plunder the citizens of all states by crooked means out of more than a billion dollars every year is there no defense no way of escape for outraged people congress surely has power under the constitution to regulate any exchange dealing in the securities of interstate railroads and probably of any corporation engaged in interstate commerce it can and should prohibit margin gambling in the shares of such corporations because that practice interferes with their business and tends to increase their expenses and the rates they must charge that margin gambling is the most dangerous panic inciting practice is evidenced by the reported fact that during the panic of nineteen o seven morgan's first imperial order when he took command of the situation was stop all margin trading he was obeyed and instantly the strain relaxed and the danger grew less if there was no margin gambling there never would be any real panics the gambling or fictitious deals largely wash sales total between ten and twenty billion dollars every year congress at once should prohibit the pretended selling of shares of corporations engaged in interstate commerce that vendor does not own this would abolish the seventy-five percent of gambling deals without harm to legitimate business it would make the exchange a genuine securities market instead of a gambling institution quotations then would be a true index of value severe criminal penalties for violators should be provided congress has power and should make it unlawful for national banks directly or indirectly to charge more than six percent interest or discount on either call or time loans this would force state legislation imposing the same restriction on state banks trust companies and individuals congress should also forbid any usurious loans being made on any such stock exchange these two things would do much towards settling the monetary problem increase the elasticity of the currency and the volume of bank credit available for legitimate business remove the cause of panics and save the people a billion dollars of losses annually it would be the greatest blessing conferred on the country by any act of congress in forty years evidently no help from the present administration can be expected in an interview in the new york world may twenty seventh nineteen o eight attorney general wickersham is reported as saying that margin trading as carried on by the new york stock exchange is perfectly legal and not gambling he adds actual deliveries of stock are made it is not simply betting that a stock will go up or down the men are actually buying and selling stock 
As the Attorney General is an able lawyer, is reported as saying that he has been counsel for a very large number of the biggest financiers and interests in Wall Street, it seems impossible that he is ignorant of the fact that a large majority of the hundreds of thousands of people who play the stock game on margin never get or even see or expect to get one share of the stocks on the quotation prices of which they merely bet. The Attorney General as well might justify horse race betting and claim that there is an actual delivery of horses to the bettors. There may be mentally, but not legally. Billions of dollars of margin deals are made every year in which the customers never receive into their possession a certificate for even one share of actual stock or have title to any stock legally transferred to them on the books of the several corporations, and no one knows better than the Attorney General that this is true. A wonderfully clever scheme has been evolved to confuse and hide the true character of margin deals, but everybody in Wall Street realizes that it is gambling and nothing more. To illustrate, in one day, say a hundred purchases and sales on margin are made, each for a thousand shares New York Central Railroad stock at par by 100 brokers for 100 customers, one deal each. The price of 1,000 shares at par, $100, is $100,000. Each of the 100 buying customers puts up $10,000 as a 10% margin with his broker, a total of $1,000,000 margin money in the hands of the 100 brokers, or $10,000 apiece. Each broker goes on the floor of the exchange and buys the 1,000 shares, the transaction being entered on the exchange clearinghouse sheet as a purchase by one and a sale by another broker. Stock never is delivered on the floor, but at the broker's office by messenger next morning. Each of the 100 buying brokers bought in one deal and sold in another. At the end of the day, in the clearinghouse, these deals are matched or offset. The whole hundred deals are settled by the last selling broker, handing the first buying broker one certificate for 1,000 shares of that stock. A hundred sales of 1,000 shares each, total 100,000 shares, worth $10 million, is settled by the delivery of one certificate for 1,000 shares in just one of the 100 deals, and $10,000 instead of $10 million is all the money paid by the only one to whom any sort of actual delivery is made. The other 99 caught no stock at all. Yet, behind each of the 99 brokers is a customer betting that the price of New York Central will advance, ready to take his winning if it does, and with $10,000 up in the hands of the broker as a security wager to cover commissions and pay the loss to the customer behind some selling broker who took the other side and bet that New York Central would go down. Neither wants to bother with any certificate of stock. The customer who sold had no actual stock to sell or deliver. The customer who bought got no stock and did not want any. Both are interested only in the shifting quotation figures on the blackboard or tape as the game goes on. If there was any sort of real delivery by the last to the first man, 
There certainly was none to the ninety-nine between, not even mental delivery, for they did not expect or want any actual stock. Each just bet the price would advance. If these had been genuine sales, it would have required 100,000 shares and $10 million money to make the deliveries. As it was a gamble, 1,000 shares was enough to make the sham delivery for the whole 100 deals and $1 million to protect the 100 brokers in case quotations happened to go down instead of up. But even the first buyer did not actually get any stock. The certificate never was legally transferred to him on the books of the company. There was no stock actually delivered to him. He never saw any stock or expected to. His broker got the 1,000 share certificate. It was endorsed in blank and thus transferable by mere delivery to bearer. Without any consent or action by the customer, the broker takes this certificate to his own bank and pledges it as collateral security for his own note for $80,000 or 80% 80 of its market value. If broker defaults, the bank hands the certificate to a different broker who sells same to anybody desiring it. The bank pays itself and the expenses from the proceeds and gives the balance, if any, to the defaulting broker. Unless the legal title to the 1,000 shares vested in the customer, Clearly there was no delivery, and the deal was a mere gamble, a wager or bet on the quotation price, and as such, illegal, and a violation of the New York State Constitution which prohibits gambling. On the other hand, if there was delivery, and title vested in the customer, then the broker has committed a felony, and violated the statutes of New York, by converting to his own use the property of another, pledging his customer's stock at the bank as security for his own personal debt. Margin dealing, in either case, is an illegal, criminal proceeding, and the distinguished and able Attorney General should know of that fact. If he does, why is he apologizing for what is conceded to be the greatest of the many Wall Street evils, defending the stock exchange in its lawless course? In the above situation, only 1,000 shares of actual stock worth $100,000 is involved, and yet $1 million cash is up as a security wager with 100 brokers who charge their customers one-eighth percent commission on $10 million for buying and another one-eighth percent on $10 million for selling and also 6% interest on an imaginary nine million dollars while the deal is pending also the state transfer tax and the attorney general is said to see nothing improper in this proceeding likewise he seems to see nothing improper in over half the national bankers violating the united states laws that he took an oath to enforce for he takes no action in the matter it is believed that in a united states court Money lost in a margin deal can be recovered by the victim in a suit against the broker. This view should be tested in the courts. Congress is the only power that can throttle or curb this most deadly of Wall Street's instruments for the spoilation of all the people. If Congress had acted 25 years ago, more than $10 billion of wealth, now dangerously concentrated, 
would have remained scattered in the pockets of a large portion of the 94 million people of the United States. End of chapter 11